everyone. Welcome to the Food About Town podcast. My name's Chris Lindstrom, and I'm your host. This week is episode 27, where we talk to Sean O'Donnell from Aunt Rosie's. Uh, Sean is the chef de cuisine at Aunt Rosie's right now. We talked about his recent dim sum pop-up that occurred at the restaurant. Talked about his journey as a chef. And we talked a little bit about Buffalo and some of our common interests. Uh, I really like Sean a lot, and I had a lot of fun recording this one. Um, Sean's definitely one of the up-and-coming chefs in the city, and I'm always looking forward to what he comes up with next. So um, please check out his Flower City Food Course series. I believe you can find it on Vimeo. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please review on iTunes or leave a comment on any of the posts. And tune in next week. Enjoy. So it's summer here in Rochester, and I think it's reached a, what, a blistering 90 degrees today. Oh, yeah. So I am here with Sean O'Donnell from Aunt Rosie's. Hi, Sean. How's it going, Chris? Good. <laughs> so what, what's your, this may be an awkward time, what, what is your official position over at Aunt Rosie's now? Uh, I guess it would be chef de cuisine. Uh, chef owner Paul Vroman has stepped up to director of operations in the entire uh, Max family, including Chop House, Outside Catering, and Max Viesman Place, as so well as Aunt Rosie's. So is that is that the whole empire now? The whole Max empire is that now? It is. So he would be the uh, Matty death bro of the company, if you will. <laughs> and for, for those of you that aren't familiar, um, that's Matty Matheson from Matty uh, Matheson. Parts and Labor in, Tur- in Toronto. He does... Uh, what is a amazingly colorful and entertaining uh, Vice series uh, oh, yeah. of videos? Uh, you really should watch his "How to Make a, the Best Cheeseburger Ever" <laughs> video. There's an insane amount of cursing, and it's fantastic. Yeah, he's also a great chef as well. I tried out his food a couple months ago in Toronto and wasn't disappointed. No, I, I went. I went with Carrie when we went up last time. We stayed right across from his burger place. Oh yeah, uh, P and L Burger, whatever it is, in a Airbnb, which is a weird experience. Right. You ever done the Airbnb thing? No, I haven't. It's it's odd. We stayed in a spare bedroom in some guy's house, and which is really what it is. Right. But it's not cheap, cheap compared to Toronto, but it was still like $100 a night. Oh, yeah. And you're staying in a guy's house. So like, <laughs> can I use the microwave? Can I use the toaster? Is that okay? Can I toss something in the fridge? <laughs> it's it's an odd situation and right next to chinatown too so it's right chinatown in toronto is great it's it's a great thing oh yeah so let's table that for just a second yeah sorry about that because yesterday uh which is sunday we're recording on monday the 13th i think so monday the 13th yesterday at uh at aunt rosie's sean had a pop-up lunch which super cool Thanks. Something we need a lot more of in Rochester, these cool pop-up kind of things. 
and this is this is one of the first few. There really hasn't been a lot. Um, I know Paul's done a couple. Yep. I know uh, Ryan Jennings has done a couple. Yep. But other than that, there really hasn't been a lot of pop-up dinners or lunches around Rochester, right? Right. Um, I know Buddha Pub does them every once in a while. Chef Asa Mott, formerly of uh, the Max family as well. Super talented chef. Um, but yeah, outside of Ryan, Paul, Asa, I'm sure they're going on in the city, but I haven't really seen uh, much publicity for anything like that. Yeah, not a lot of publicity. I mean, there's little things that pop up here and there, of course. Right. So to speak. Um, <laughs> but th- this was kind of like almost the, almost more of the spirit of the pop-up in my eyes, where it was, so Sean did a dim sum pop-up. Yep. And it was, it was fast. It was interesting. And everything was made in-house. Yep. So, would you do six different dishes? Five different dishes? Six, five or six? Yeah. Um, I really wanted to incorporate the traditional Cantonese dim sum style. So, like the the server pushing the cart around the dining room. If they run out of pork shumai on the first round before it gets to you, and all that's left are chicken feet, that's what you get until yeah. the next round of baskets come out of the kitchen. Or you get the customers that tell the server, hey, I want this, and they they try and rush the kitchen on that a little bit. And I really <laughs> felt the, the chaos of that through all five or six different dishes we did there. Well, okay, so we did it. We had the, the pork shumai. Yep, that we was with the, uh, local ramps, organic pork, and jalapenos. Yep. Uh, you had the edamame salad, which was... Nice and simple is a good uh, little sesame sesame dressing. Yep, not too not too heavy sesame dressing. Not like a you know like a typical sushi salad or anything. Right. You know? <laughs> um, there was the egg rolls. Yep, those which, were. Uh, I I wanted to go Malaysian on them a little bit with those pickled limes, or I guess they were salt preserved limes. Yeah, those turned out awesome. Thanks. That that uh, really held on the palate for a while. In a great way. I mean, that salt pre- preserved lime taste. Right. The first time I had those was over at India House. Um, they have that little tray of condiments, uh, the pickles there. And I took a bite of a whole one one time, and it was just like a punch right to the mouth. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, I, I love <laughs> – I haven't had a ton, but the, the pickle condiment in India is completely different from our, you know, pickled cucumbers or, right. you know – or even like Viet quick pickled carrots and stuff. It's so intense. It is. It's super salty, super flavorful, and it's not just salt. It's everything. It's it's just a superpower condiment. Right. I uh, I actually use the bar tartine method. Um, they have a great cookbook on pre- preservation, but more than you're you're talking about like regular old pickles and right. things like that. Yeah, and it's I think one of those things that. You know, we've gone through the sriracha phase. Yep. We're going into, you know, harissa now and <laughs> other kind of, you know, pickled or created goods. I can see, like, Indian pickle coming in the next few years as one of the next hot things. It, it better. <laughs> it, it's so delicious. And it's a little goes a long way, of course, but it's so flavorful. And I think as Indian food pops a little more, I think we'll see that come out, which would be really cool. Oh, yeah. Um. See so the egg roll, you had the 
uh, egg dumpling. Yep. That was uh, simple smash peas with cilantro, mint. Um, that one I feel like I did go a little heavy on the sesame oil with the egg. But, um, yeah, I topped that with fried baby shrimp because there wasn't a lot of salt in there. You get the richness of the egg yolk, um, which I didn't season because it might have popped yeah. in the process. And uh, the the richness of the peas... So the shrimp were a nice briny uh, contrast to that. I feel. Yeah, it was an, it was a really interesting dish. Hard one to cook. Yes, it was. Uh, I mean, that balance point is really hard to get on a dish like that. Right. Unfortunately, some customers told me that they did get some egg yolks that were a little bit too well done, more like a hard boiled egg. Well, you know, almost. it's it's a really tough one to get right. It was, yeah. And in an environment like that, which I, I think the, I mean, it's not. To say you wouldn't want to do it better. Right. But it's kind of the charm of the pop-up, too. You don't expect everything to be 100% perfect. Right. It's not like you cook 100 orders of dim sum every day. <laughs> and you're steaming, you know, that's all you do is steam dim sum all day. Right. Um, and I think, what, what was, there was one more, right? There we had the uh, Phoenix Talons. Ah, yes. <laughs> so that yeah. is for the layman chicken feet. Chicken feet. And in mo- most actually dim sum places will call them Phoenix Talons. They w- yeah. Which is great. Oh, yeah. Um, those are fun to eat. Yeah, I, I wanted something on that menu to kind of push people's boundaries a little bit. Sure. I, I love doing that. If, if you can show a way to use the whole animal and, you know, nose to tail, no, uh, feet to head, however you want to say it, um, people were asking, what are they going to taste like? It's gonna taste like chicken, right? Tastes like what it else? Tastes like chicken skin. <laughs> I mean, there's not much else to it, right? You know, it's chicken skin, a little bit of um, you know fat from the pad, fat and cartilage, and that's really all there is, right? And people are thinking they have to chew through the bones. I'm like, very, some people do, right? But if you just want to just chew around, eat as much as you can, and move on to the next one, it's not a big meal, right? Right. We tried to go for the uh, the traditional kind of black bean sauce, mm-hmm. but the spin that we put on it was the Mexican cola glaze with the black beans, a um, couple other fermented products like that as well. Yeah, it turned out really well. It wasn't too sweet. You expect with you know a cola glaze, it can get like terrible sweet. Sickening like some of those sweet, right. some of those barbecue sauces where they call it a barbecue sauce, right? Um, it's just just a sugar syrup, which is right. terrible. Well, they're probably using the regular Coke or Dr. Pepper with corn syrup. Sure. Which I feel like has a big flavor difference. I I never drank dark soda. I probably went five or six years without drinking dark soda. And then the first time I went to Aunt Rosie's as a customer, ironically, I got the Mexican Coke. Yeah. And it just blew my mind, the, oh, yeah. the flavor differential on it. I think the glass bottle doesn't hurt either. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it sort of adds to the mystique of it that it only comes in glass bottles. And right. It's something like taking off a cap that I think just makes it taste better. I remember growing up, my grandfather was a glass bottle Pepsi drinker. Oh, yeah. And I, I never remember it being better than having it ice cold out of a glass bottle. Yeah. it's, it's For me, it's kind of like the uh, frosty mug at Tom Walls. You get the the giant frosty mug of root beer i've never done that oh yeah you got they make a real mean root beer over there so yeah that's something i definitely should do i i don't i'm not super into the whole rochester i mean for doing a rochester food blog i haven't done a lot of the rochester you know institution places right 
And I think I'm kind of behind on a lot of those. You know, I've done some of the plates. I've done a couple of places here and there, but I think I missed out on a lot of that because I grew up in Buffalo. You know, it's a it's a very different environment. Right. Well, I feel like looking at it, um, much like stepping into a new music genre for the first time, you'll say it all it all it's all the same burger. The only difference is they have crinkle cut fries, whatever. But when you really do pick up on those little nuances, what they put in their Rochester meat hot sauce right. or things like that, you uh, gravitate towards your favorite pretty quickly. Sure, it does make a big difference. Um, so I'm going to take a step back towards our Tim Sum Talk and Toronto. Uh, Toronto is one of the places within a short radius of Rochester where you can get more traditional dim sum presentation. Um there's a couple places in the city in Rochester that do a decent job. Yep. Uh, Cantonese House down in uh, off of West Henrietta does a nice job. They do cart service over the weekend. And like a White Swan Asia Cafe does a decent job of dim sum. They don't do I think they might do the cart one day a week too. Um, but it's not we don't have a big culture of dim sum here. Right. And it doesn't have that I think what you're talking about that frenetic pace of a massive dim sum place yeah. like you get in big cities. Yeah, we wanted we wanted the chaos factor to be there. Um, it was definitely more present in the kitchen. Um, we were literally putting out fires from the towels that we were wrapping around the steamers to, to keep the steam in. So it, if you That's felt great. a little lull out there as as the guest, the patron, um, <laughs> we were realistically putting out fires. <laughs> well, you know what? It's And I think you got a taste for it. Oh, yeah. And it's it's... It, it was it was a cool event, and from the from the dining room, very well paced. Cool. You didn't feel pushed. You didn't feel like you were waiting too much for anything. Great. Um, and you know, there's there's always balance points. Sure. And uh, oh, I think I don't think we talked about your XO sauce. So you made oh, a, a steam right. bun with uh, with homemade XO sauce, which was really touched that balance of fishy versus savory, and. I thought it turned out really well. Texture was a little texture was a little bit rough, but the sauce was pretty spot on. I thought. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, steaming's like I said, steaming's the hardest part of doing what right. you're doing. You're steaming almost everything except for the uh, the spring rolls and the chicken feet. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and in the the test test batches, you can do test batches all you want. They can turn out perfect, but. When you when you're doing it on that mass scale, um, on a time crunch, oh yeah, everything kind of slows down and doesn't really go the way you mean it to. But you know what? You get through it. Exactly. You put out a meal that's memorable, and I think a lot of people, the, the people that were there, walked away pretty happy. I'm glad. Even people that haven't had chicken feet before, <laughs> like my mother, uh, she was there and she tried it. I didn't have to persuade her. Um, my dad said he loved them, so that's awesome. That's those are the two people I like to push the most with food. Yeah. Kind of uh, ironic that when I was three or four, they were probably trying to get me to eat peas or oh, yeah. broccoli or something, and now I'm doing the same thing to them in an entirely different way. So yeah, just a little bit different. <laughs> uh, I, I still try and do that at home, although completely unsuccessfully. I mean, my 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 dad does not like different. It doesn't matter how much I push. I mean, he'll, he'll try a couple of things here and there and say, oh, that's, that's not awful. Um, <laughs> it's not awful, but it's nothing he really wants to eat. I think I brought home pad thai from 
some generic Thai place around where we live in Buffalo. Oh, yeah. And, you know, pretty inoffensive. Pad Thai's pretty approachable. He's like, oh, yeah, it's noodles. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't have that excitement, you know, that, right. that I think uh, you and I have. And going to explore places like Toronto, Chinatown, or uh, where I first had that crazy dim sum service was in, uh, was in Boston. Okay. This crazy dim sum place in their Chinatown. I think it was two floors, and we walked in. It was you know, Saturday afternoon or something. And it was one of the craziest scenes I have ever been a part of. Every single table was full. There were carts running in between tables so fast. Oh, yeah. Just getting anything and everything out there. You know, nobody was speaking English, almost. And it was, it was quite the experience. Yeah. I'd like to do that again in uh, Toronto at some point. Oh, for sure. Um, I've I've only had dim sum outside of the context of the push cart service. Mm-hmm. I, you know, just order it, though the server brings it to you, and right. you just eat it. Right. But with, with this Flower City Food Core thing, I kind of wanted to step away from the traditional serving methods. Like, I think the next one, we might go for a Spanish tapas themed. Sure. So... You either get someone coming around with appetizers or I, I don't know how we're exactly going to do it yet, but we're going to kind of look into not only having a unique uh, experience with the food, but the food delivery and things like that as well. Sure. So, well, let's get into that since it got mentioned. <laughs> so Sean's been hashtagging like a madman over the last, that's better be a year or so, right? Uh, I've really been pushing it for a year, but I think I, st- I started it before I've been cooking. Yeah. Um, so that's been about four years, I wow. want to say. So his, he's been hashtagging Flower City Food Core, which is a cool hashtag to begin Thanks. with. I mean, if a hashtag can be cool, <laughs> which I, I think we're at the point in, point in social media where it kind of can be. Right. Um, so hashtag cool hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that is a thing too. Sure. Uh, so he's he's been hashtagging that for a while, and recently he started putting out um, short videos. Yep. Uh, so this one of the dim sum will be number three. It'll be number three. So number one was your, you did a little uh, tagine thing, correct? Yep, that was out of my apartment. Um, I guess technically that would be my second Flower City Food Corps event, if right. you will. I did a ramen one before that out of my apartment, mm-hmm. but... Um, I would just have to cap it at eight to ten people because sure. my apartment's smaller than the Aunt Rosie's kitchen. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Paul Roman was generous enough to let me use Aunt Rosie's for for that event. Makes a big difference. It does. Um, makes a big difference, and it lets you lets you try different things. Right, you can only do so much in a in a house kitchen. Yep. Although in uh, in bigger cities, there's a there's a large trend in doing those. That's hard to even call them pop-ups anymore, but they're right. like restaurants in a house that are completely unlicensed. Right. And they, I think they're like, you know, invite-only dinner parties or however they have to classify them so they don't get shut down. Right. Um, fascinating stuff. Oh, yeah. And the meals they're putting out of those, I've seen some of the pictures. They just look fantastic. Right. And that's that's kind of where... Um, Flower City Food Corps was derived from. Um, I used to play in a band, and I've been into the music scene for a while, and I just watched 
the hardcore kids, the hardcore punk kids, and their dedication and devotion, the the DIY method that they used, um, and just putting on a concert, a really good concert, out of someone's house with the materials that they have at hand. Um, and it, it just kind of evolved into this. That's great. And what would you say the style of the videos is kind of modeled? I, don't, I really don't know. Um, I mean, they're, they're relatively short, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Alex Freeman of Studio 73 Productions, mm-hmm. um, his specialty is kind of short films like that. And I feel like, especially starting off right now, for myself, the videos should be shorter in length to capture the attention span of the audience, at least for now, like these little glimpses into it. And then once we do bigger events, we can start extending the time of the videos. Sure. Things like that. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, small videos are kind of in kind of popular right now. Right. Just it's more a vibe thing than a amazing amount of content thing. Right. Right. I didn't want to have a cooking show where I'm like, welcome to this. Now we add the ketchup Mm -hmm. to this mayo. Here you go. Here's a recipe. Right. It just wanted to kind of show what we do. Um, and kind of have it explain itself. At the yeah. end of the day, food should be able to explain itself. Yeah, I think mostly, and especially when there, when there is that DIY vibe, when you're really trying to do something interesting, I think people tend to pick up on that. At least I hope so. so yeah, <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah. So I'm familiar with Sean. I've seen him come up through the Aunt Rosie ranks over the last few years, but... Where did you, so for the other people out there, where, where did you get your start in <laughs> cooking? What, why, how did you end up doing the cooking thing? Um, I graduated SUNY Oswego with a teaching degree for technology, you know, a shop teacher, metal shop, wood shop, that kind of thing. Very cool. Um, I was subbing in Churchville for a while, and um, I don't know. I've always been into food. I was reading Anthony Bourdain a lot at the time, and I was looking for a part-time job while I was looking for a full-time teaching job, you know, until I got that or whatever. A friend of mine was working at an Italian restaurant. He got me into it the next day after I ended up talking to him and um, worked there part-time for... I want to say six months before they brought me on full time, and I never looked back. Yeah. I'd say that was about three years ago. Wow! So kind of a whirlwind ride. I mean, three years is not that long of a time. Oh yeah, uh, to be starting off three years ago and now, you know, kind of kind of running one of Rochester's better restaurants. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's it's kind of a kind of crazy ride, right? It is. Um, I was when I was at that first restaurant. Um, I kind of felt like I needed to take myself in another direction, you know, um, kind of take it to the next level. And at that time, I myself was a big Paul Roman fan. Sure. I would follow the food truck. Um, I I went to Lux Lounge just to get the pork belly tacos, much like I'll go there just to get the poutine most nights, uh, I think Friday nights. I think that's still really the best place to get it. Exactly. It's hard to be going outside of Lux 
on a Saturday, Friday or Saturday at you know midnight, right? When nothing else is really around to get great food, and just go over there and grab something, right? It's perfect. Yeah, and then uh, one day with Paul, um, it was actually during Jazz Fest before I went into my kitchen shift at that Italian restaurant. Um, I got a pork belly taco from Paul, and it had pickled peaches on it. And I'm like, you can pickle fruit? Really? <laughs> and it, it was such a prolific experience for me. I went home and pickled pears. Yeah. And shortly after that, um, I was reading an Alice Waters cookbook outside of Java's. Um, and one of Tony Galassi's friends, Tony Galassi owns uh, the Max Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, one of his friends came up to me, and he's like, hey, uh, my friend Tony likes uh, Alice Waters. He's a chef. He owns that restaurant. Um, that guy over there in the brick and motor truck, he used to be the chef for him. Dan Martello of Good Luck used to be the chef for him. Uh, Russell Ferguson of Amore, and the list goes on and on. Um, right. It's pretty. It's pretty much. It's like the the proving ground for a lot of Rochester right. chefs. Uh, we got Rocco. We got Buddha Pub. Um, the current Zeppa iteration before right, that. The current iteration of Brick and Motor. Yes. I mean, it's really a, a ton of people came from there. Oh yeah, and when when he told me that, I knew that was the the improvement I was looking to make on myself was to go ahead and join the company. And um, a couple months later, they were looking for help, and I applied and got the job. And uh, I worked there for probably two months before Aunt Rosie's kind of came to fruition. Um, Paul kind of knew me from the food truck as a customer, and I did mm-hmm. a serve safe class with him uh, probably a few months prior to that. But other than that, I didn't really know him. And uh, they slowly started giving me shifts over there, and before I knew it, I was full-time. And Aunt Rosie's. Yeah, before you know. Oh yeah. And, th- and then everything <laughs> starts. Oh yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's an interesting place. It's an interesting place to to look at from how a restaurant operates, how a menu's derived, and you know really what direction that food goes in because it's for how diverse the menu is. It is a static menu, right? In a lot of ways. I mean, it the is. same similar dishes are on the menu all the time, right? But the components that they consist of varies greatly as the year progresses. Right. So you can have the gnocchi dish, you know, what, five, six times in a year and have completely different things. Oh, yeah. We were even going the Moroccan route on one of the menus for the gnocchi. Right. Like, um, Aunt Rosie's is said to be Italian style. Right. So using, using Italian food as the medium... And throwing in the Asian influences or Eastern European, Spanish, uh, North African. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, celebrating whatever is, whatever's around, whatever's great at the time. Sure. Which is what, you know, in a lot of ways, what real Italian food is. Right. I mean, for my understanding, I try not to use the word authentic or real. Right. As much as I can help it, because I don't know. I've never been to Italy. Not only that, you'll have the the people coming out from the floorboard saying, uh-uh. That's not that's not traditional. They don't use they don't use oregano and whatever you know. Like, right. So, yeah. Which is crazy because it's it's using whatever what my understanding of Italian cooking is, 
is in most ways it's using whatever you have. Yep. And, you know, they'll they use so much more seafood than we use here in Italian restaurants. Yep. Because they have a bounty of seafood. And it's it makes a huge difference when you have local fresh ingredients and you're using the best of what's around. Right. And in the winter, um since we do live in upstate New York, uh <laughs> We we go towards the the items that we would have pickled at the the height of their season in the summer or the spring, um, and then foods that hold up well, like like grains. We'll we'll focus on a lot of grains, um, you know, things that are meant to be preserved. Roasted red peppers, for instance, um, you roast them to put them in olive oil to preserve them for the rest of the year. Um, so with that being said, in the winter, we tend to get more creative, um, a little bit more playing around, because when you when you get to the summertime, um, say Emma from Pachamama Farms drops off a load of produce, you don't have to do anything to it. Right. You just, you just cut it up, um, throw it in a dish, and hope for the best yeah. and you i don't want to say hope for the best because i don't know if you've ever had pachamama farms produce but it's I, out I've of had, this world i've had it a few times oh yeah i've had it a few times and it's um it's great and one of the things that i've always marveled at was the simplicity and the, the um fantastic tasting salads uh that would come out of that would come out of aunt rosie's one of one of my favorite dishes and super simple Yep. You can't really get more simple than the way those salads are made. And and they're hard to beat when their produce is in the best of season. You know, super sweet tomatoes and bright dressings and, you know, fresh fresh greens and, you know, a great cheese or something. It's super simple. Yep. And it doesn't have to be crazy busy with 10 different ingredients on the plate. Right. For it to be delicious and to make sense. Yeah, that's something I really picked up on from Paul was that um, just let, like I said earlier, let let the food speak. It should explain itself. Um, you shouldn't taste a vinaigrette and say, there's so many flavors going on in this. What is it? You should be able to say, this, this is a tomato vinaigrette or this is a cantaloupe vinaigrette or whatever, whatever you're trying to convey there. Well, I mean, yeah, and that's I think that's one of the one of the nice things about the format is you're forced within a construct to be creative. Right. And I think that uh kind of it seems to suit you pretty well in a lot of ways. Thank you. Cuz like, let's let's be creative a little bit. Oh yeah. Um so how how is the transition? It, this has only been what a few weeks now, right? Uh, maybe a month? I'd say going on a month. Right. Yep. How has the transition been so far? Well, other than uh, ordering produce, nothing's changed. Yeah. Um, I picked up uh, another day of the week sure. to work. Um, but even even before I took on this position, I was still doing the weekly specials and, you know, the arancini of the week and sure. things like that. Um, and Aunt Rosie's, it's so small. If it's just me and one other server. I'll be running food. Um, 
you know, taking customers' orders at the cash register. And that's, that's something that um, I picked up from Paul, and uh, I would assume he, he kind of got that from the food truck days of actually dealing with the customer. That's why I love the open kitchen format of Aunt oh, sure. Rosie's. I mean, you, you can't help it. There's, you know, it's it's not insanely open where you see every single angle, but right. it's there's no hiding. Oh yeah, you can't you <laughs> can't be crazy demonstrative with the customers not knowing. You have to be on top of things. You have to keep your keep your wits about you a little bit. You know. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure is challenging at times. It is, but you know, it's a in a lot of ways it's a character builder that you really have to. You have to keep your cool. You have to maintain that decorum or else the customers know the difference. Yeah, definitely. An angry chef produces angry food. <laughs> Sometimes delicious angry food. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um, so I want to talk for a few minutes about uh, it, it was a, it was during the wintertime you and I drove out to Buffalo and oh, yeah. we did that. Uh, we went out to Nickel City Chef. Which was a great experience. Oh yeah. Um, I, you know, not not for the best, but I, I'm glad my wife didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and it, we had, we had some time to talk and spend some time out there, and it was it was a really fun experience. Oh yeah. Um, and one of the things you kind of introduced me to, they were giving out samples there, which uh, was um, Leonard Oaks wine. Oh yeah. And. I kind of had my eyes open that day to to wine. I I had just started drinking last summer, and wine was something I had no taste for. Sure, um, I tasted. I'm like, oh, that's boring. It's just it's watery and sweet and alcohol, and that's it. And a lot of the wines I was tasting, you know, I just have a sip of Carries or whatever, and it, it didn't it didn't excite me. It didn't make me interested in wine at all, and. I don't remember if you were pushing me to taste it or you're just saying, oh, this is really good stuff and you'd had it before. Right. Um, I think I think it was because we were just uh, we were just waiting in line, waiting for it to open. That's right. We um, were waiting in line. It's, yep. it's general admission, so there is quite a long line, and we just so happened to uh, get stuck right in front of Jared giving out the free samples there. Yeah, and I've... <laughs> I've struck up some conversations with him since, seen him, you know, in Rochester and around in different places. And I've tried pretty much the whole suite of their wines at this point, you know, at uh, some tastings. Continually impressed, and it makes me vastly more interested in wine than I ever was before. Right, not only the wine, but the steampunk. And uh, since then, they've released the the Eloquence, the Quince-infused steampunk. Yeah. Which I have to I have to search out again because I had it I had it once on tap at Joe Bean, and it was fantastic. I mean, so it it, it's the same kind of thing as the apple, but it's it's not the same thing. It's right, super bright and really interesting. Oh yeah. Um, so it's one of those things I've been sort of harping on ever since. Is when I go to a wine store and I try to find it, I'm like, you don't have it. How can you not have it? Of course. And it's um challenging because it's. It's not that well distributed around here, right? And that's all I want to buy. Sa- yeah, same. Um, Market View Liquor over in Henrietta sells um, whatever they have out currently um, for Leonard Oaks. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely going to have to go give them give them a run because it's one of those 
and it's not to say I haven't tried others at this point and had some enjoyment, but man, that that price and value for such a dynamic, interesting wine. Oh yeah, it it, it was surprising, and it, it really did open my eyes that day. Yeah. Um, I know it's kind of a long-winded transition. I was going to ask you about wine in general. Uh, I was listening to the Grain of Salt podcast not that long ago about about wine and wine lists. And I was wondering, have you done any work and, you know, not work on the wine list, but, you know, learning about wine more now that you've gotten in an Italian restaurant? I have. Um, the, the, the main way I do that, we have these customers that come in, um, I want to say biweekly. Um, and they, they request tasting menus. Um, they conveniently come in at times when um, we have just pushed out our big dinner rush or what have you, um, or even right before we close. Um, they'll come in for a four or five course tasting menu, and they request that we pair it with wine ourselves. Mm. And at first, um, when Paul was still um, heading up Aunt Rosie's, he had he had a real good taste for that um and one of our servers michelle had an excellent taste for that as well um now that both of them aren't working hands-on at rosie's um that's kind of fallen on myself and the rest of the serving staff so um it's it's been challenging but um definitely learning a lot from that um pairing pairing the different wines with the foods if you taste the wine with the entire course except the sauce and then you sauce it and send it out, it, it could have those subtle nuances that could throw off the whole balance between the dish and the beverage. Hmm. So that was, that was something really cool to work on. Yeah, I, I found it very challenging, the whole, t- the whole pairing thing. It is. Um, I've only had a few where it just screamed, this is a pairing. Right. Oftentimes it's very subtle. Right. I, I try and go more on feel because I I don't know the difference between uh, the, you know, the little nuances of different wines. I just go by, well, I know that one's a sweeter white wine, so I'm going to try that out. I'm going to take a little sip, taste a little bit of the food, and if I'm not feeling it, I'll go on to the next wine or I'll change the sauce in this dish or however it ends up working out. Well, I think that may make even more sense in a lot of ways. Instead of having those preconceived notions of, oh, you can't, you can't pair a, you know, a strong, you know, a buttery Chardonnay with that. Right. Because that's what nobody, people have never done. Well, you have a chance to uh, come out with a little less preconceived notion of how it should be paired and actually taste it yourself. Right. Um, exactly. Soy and truffles. Um, one of the one of the flavor pairings I learned really quick when I got working at Max. I I didn't think it was a combination that could work. Never heard them in the same context before, but I tried it and it's great. Hmm. So just little things like that, like you're saying, uh, unconventional pairings that just make sense. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, for me, the one that popped was uh, an espresso tasting 
uh, pairing at Joe Bean. It was a different coffees and espressos. Sure. Paired with different dishes. And there was one, I think it was, I don't know if it was strawberries or some other fruit, but in, the espresso screamed strawberries when eaten with the dish. Okay. And and I've had with wine a couple times where it just, it really did amplify what you're eating. Right. I still have a lot of trouble with it. And I'm really, I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying to get better <laughs> at it. But it's one of those, if you, there's so many subtleties to it. I'm always trying to expand my palate. I think it's important for those of us trying to do this kind of thing. Right. Spend that time to improve what we're doing, how we're tasting. Right. Try different stuff. Um, well, I think that brings me to one of the other things I like to do here, which often brings up interesting conversation, is, you know, obviously you're, you don't work short hours, <laughs> but I'm sure you go out to eat in Rochester. Oh, yeah. So what places do you go to eat in Rochester? And... You know, take out, sit down. I don't really care. I love interesting and different. Sure. Um, go by different genres here, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'd say just great dining experience every time, great food, great cocktails, great service, good luck. Sure. Um, I consider them a gold standard in Rochester dining. Um, they do a changing menu um changing cocktail menu i love the atmosphere um yeah just i like i said i consider them the gold standard in rochester yeah they kind of set the table for a lot of what's going on here now oh yeah in a lot of ways oh yeah in vibe in cocktails in dining style menu right in a lot of it really did set the table in a lot of ways for what's going on now yeah um as for just Regular old, I don't know, Saturday before work, I like to go to India House over on South Clinton for their buffet. Sure. Um, also, right across the street from that, connected to Hong Kong House, there's a little um, video rental. And in the back, they sell Bon Mies. Yep, Vin Hao video rental. Vin Hao, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, just grabbed, you know, two, three Bon Mies and head off to work on my bike yeah and get out of there for like ten dollars oh yeah <laughs> which is crazy oh, yeah. it's it's one of those one of those still underground things where you walk in there like oh this is where you buy a sandwich right and it really is a video store it's not just like a front it's mostly a video store and there's just this tiny counter like the size of a laptop in the back yeah where you know this lady makes sandwiches right and then uh all it's all in that same area we got uh mccann's local meat Sure. Um, opening up there, I still haven't tried, but I'm really looking forward to that from what everyone's been saying. Yeah, I'm really excited. He's uh, one of the guys I'll be talking to next on next on the podcast, uh, Kevin McCann. Uh, really cool place so far. I've, I've very much enjoyed it, and it's a, a beautiful facility, Re- really stunning. Um, and I was going to say, actually, where, where I went, and I'm pretty sure you're a fan of this place, I uh, went there before the podcast today was... Uh, Monroe Kebab over on Monroe near the Owl House. Oh, yeah. Man, that's that's become a real quick go-to to the people who work late at night. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely my late-night go-to. Um, they they do the non-bread right-to-order in the uh, 
the tandoori oven. Yeah. Um, the lamb the same way, right on the spit inside of the oven, and it's it's fast, it's cheap, and it doesn't make sense with those two factors, the the price and how quick it is, but it's just great. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had anything bad from there. No, not at all. Yeah. Which is it's hard for, for our late night plays. Oh yeah. And uh, to do it to do it that well that fast. Um but I I love places like that. I think you and I have that in common. We love those tiny little places that Yep. It's not an atmosphere place. Right. <laughs> uh atmosphere though, uh that's a good point. I love Skylark. Um Yeah. Late night food. They serve meatballs till one uh Till midnight, right? I think it might be past midnight. Okay. I think. I mean, it's at least midnight. Right. Um, it's a really cool place. It's, it's a, basically a bar over on Union Street. Yep. Um, that does meatballs. Yep. And um, it, it's got kind of a 50s vibe to it. It's real real contemporary. Um, crazy good beer selection. And uh, they serve a beer I've never had before I've gone there called Schmitz. And okay. over the past couple of years that they've been open, I've noticed the cans change. It'll have a bear catching a salmon on it, oh, or geez. a couple months later, it'll be a <laughs> pheasant on the front, all uh-huh. like a, an Adirondack kind of outdoor can thing. I uh-huh. don't know. It's, it's good. It's cheap. Um, it pairs well with their meatballs. Which are also good and cheap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I think, still one of the... It's it's still under the radar after all the years it's been open. Right, especially being in such close proximity to Easton Alexander. Yeah, it's, um, it's still one of the best value buys. It is. For food in the entire city. Yep. Because you, you can eat three of those and be, like, almost over full for $7.50? Yeah. $7.58? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan of sports p- sports page on Monroe for their wing night. You know, I don't think I've ever been in there. Oh yeah, I've been in Acme so many times. Yeah, act- owned by the same people. I was actually interviewed by uh, Fade on Press out of London, England, and I listed Acme as one of my favorite Rochester pizza spots. Um, yeah, I, I did. I did that. Uh, I did that thing too. It was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Ac- Acme is an interesting pizza spot. It's it's bar pizza, right? Which is a genre that's not really tapped very much in Rochester, right? Because this uh, this publishing company was looking for your favorite pizzeria, not right. necessarily your favorite pizza, but um, Acme has good pizza. They have a crazy good craft beer selection for how cheap it is too right crazy cheap right and uh it's it's just a great neighborhood spot to go to i live right around the corner so if i'm hungry even though i've been slinging dough all day at aunt rosie's i'll still go to acme and get a slice sure and it really it really does straddle that straddles that position between a dive bar yeah and something that's not uh, a dive sports bar? Yeah, because it's like right on the edge. It's not a real dive bar. Right. It's not quite seedy enough to be a real dive bar. Right. But it, it definitely straddles that edge. Right. If you walk downstairs to the bathrooms, you think it's a dive bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Sports Page, they're owned by the same people. It's, it's kind of a similar vibe. Um, I'm in a local bike club, I guess you would call it, the Rochester Bike Kids. Yeah, let's talk and about that for a second. 
so I've seen just a, 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 a lot of Instagram and Facebook posts of you wearing like suits, riding bicycles around Rochester. Uh, that would be, that wouldn't be the bike kids. That would be the two annual, annual social rides they do. It's the Tweed ride in the fall and the Seersucker ride in the spring. Okay. So everyone just dresses up seasonally, um, in your finest whatever, if you have Tweed or Seersucker, but sometimes both can be hard to come by, especially when you find out the ride is in a week. Right. Or that next Sunday, but um, yeah, we all get dressed up, um, bike around, have a blast, um, get up to a hundred people sometimes. Wow, that's a pretty impressive uh, turnout. Oh yeah, 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 and uh, some of that will be the Rochester Bike Kids. So but, what 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 is that group? I, I've I've heard it said by a couple of people. I don't know what it actually is. Um, I guess it started off as these. The critical mass rides that happen once, it's like the last Friday of every month, people used to get together up to 200 people. Wow. Still like that in Buffalo, even. Um, and they would bike around, and then, I guess, over the years, people loved the vibe of that, so they're like, hey, why not do that once a week? Right. Um, started meeting at Dogtown Hots. The rides got too big, so we kind of jumped around to different places, um, now we meet at Manhattan Square Park every Wednesday night at 7.30 and cruise around the city. And it's a good way to introduce people to riding in the streets of Rochester sure. while occupying the whole lane, keeping everyone safe, and uh, really letting cars and drivers know that there are cyclists in Rochester, and that's something you should look out for. So it's partially awareness, partially group building. It is, and it's all fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, it seems interesting because cycling is one of those things that a lot of major cities are built on now. Right. Um, I don't think we have – we don't have a massive community of it here yet, but it does seem like there's, like there's a lot of dedicated people that are really into it. Oh, yeah. And especially the year-round people, it's really hardcore. Oh, yeah. Our uh – videographer alex freeman who does the flower city episodes um is a year-round cyclist he actually did a video where he attached his gopro to his chest and in the middle of winter it right after a blizzard i think and he's just biking around the city it looks yeah. like a blast yeah one, one of the guys from uh the curling club that i'm a part of he's a year-round biker and he rides at a curling club in the middle of the winter, which is over near the airport. <laughs> so he's riding on, you know, Brook Street. He's yeah. riding on pretty major streets. Oh, yeah. Trying to get get over there. And he's always riding his bike all the time. Oh, yeah. I don't know how he gets there in any decent amount of time, but <laughs> he he's always gets there. Oh, yeah. Um, so how, how how is riding the streets on a bicycle nowadays? I, I'm always intrigued by that because I've, you know, I just filled up my bike tires for the first time in maybe a couple of years. And I wanted to start just pedaling around a little bit. How how are the streets right now in Rochester for bicyclists? Um, I really feel like it depends on the day of the week and the time of day. Yeah. Um, on Monday, everyone's just getting back to work, kind of a little bit irritated, trying to get home right away. So you might get honked at a little more. Um, Wednesday, you know, a little more relaxed. I I try and stay away from certain areas. Um. 
on the party nights, if you will, Thursday, sure. Friday, Saturday. Stay away from the East End. Stay off of Park Ave. Those taxis are relentless. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a great way to see the city from the ground level. I feel like um, you miss a lot of stuff when you're going by so fast in your car. Yeah. Like, um, the first time I discovered Wadabon Me over on Monroe when they used to be there. Um, yeah, that was over Monroe right next to, kind of right next to Hanoodle Bar. Yeah, yeah. I was riding was on like, my bike one day, and I saw pho on the window, and I'm like, oh, I saw that on Anthony Bourdain. I got to go check that out. It was a cool little place for a long time, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed, really enjoyed what he was doing over there, and it was kind of a shame when he opened up the full-size restaurant. Not that he opened the full size restaurant, but that it didn't turn out that well over on, uh, over what was that University and Main Street almost? Yeah, oh yeah. It was kind of a shame when it didn't turn out well, because I really liked him. He was a really nice guy, and I was always hoping for the best. Yeah, the food spoke for itself. Yeah, it, it was a tough location though. Seems so it's a consistently tough location, isn't it? Oh yeah. Because there's been Ethiopian. There was a uh, Laotian place that was there. Yep. Uh, Thai Laotian or it was a Tai Lao, I believe it was the place. Yep. It uh, seems like there's a lot of rotation over there. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of unfortunate. It's an interesting place to have a restaurant. Yep. Um, yeah, so let's see. Did we did we get everything? I think we're doing uh. pretty good here. <laughs> um, so Toronto. I, I want to talk a little more about Toronto before we go. Sure. Because it's a place I want to spend some more time in. It seems like you've been there a little more often than I have. I've... I've been there twice in my life. Okay, um, so not as much as I have. Right. But I think you you hit up some places the last time uh, that I was looking to go to. What, what were some of the interesting places you hit up the last time you were up there? Um, the last time I was up there, I went for a day um, with my girlfriend, Liz. We were under a time crunch because we were only there for a day. Um, so we got we arrived at Chinatown. Um, walked around, uh, what is that? What's Kensington Market? Sure. Um, which is a very interesting street. It is. We did that the last time we were up there for the first time. It's this weird cross between restaurants and art stores and houses that are converted clothing stores and yeah, super diverse. Yeah. Um, it's a great weekend morning walk around. Right, right. You go get some, uh, some Vietnamese coffee, and then you get a banh mi a couple buildings over, and um, yeah, cool, cool retro clothing stores and stuff. It, we walked around, did that for a while, and went to our first stop, which was uh, Grand Electric for tacos. Okay. And we both knew that we had more restaurants to go to, but I, I couldn't stop ordering tacos there. <laughs> I do love tacos. Great, great tacos are hard to beat. Oh yeah, and these were expertly done. Um, it, it's a bourbon bar as well, so very cool. I had the best mint julep I've ever had in my life. Nice. Um, yeah, five or six tacos, and then we headed straight to Bar Raval, which wasn't too far away. Speaking of bikes, next time definitely going to bring my bike. Toronto was the bike friendliest place I've ever been. Really? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, and it was still it was still pretty cold out when we went too, and I was surprised at the number of bikes I saw. Probably make it a lot easier to get around the city. It's not a great place to park. Right, especially if you've been having a couple of drinks at Grand Electric, and then you get some craft cocktails at Bar Raval. Uh-huh. And what I liked about Bar Raval is that it's traditional Spanish tapas style. Okay, so you're you're standing at the at a ledge at the window and the person comes up to you they give you the bar menu the food menu and uh you just eat it standing up you know with toothpicks traditionally like spain beautiful interior um the menu is very diverse um and i got my girlfriend to try uh pork's cheeks they braised them in cider those were delicious as well as uh the canned preserved razor clams. Oh, very interesting. Also, also really good. Um, they came with potato chips. They nice. paired nicely. Nice. Actually, I had a razor clam and potato chip dish at the kitchen not that long ago. Okay. That was actually pretty fantastic. Right? Yeah, it was very nice. Yeah. Um, after Bar Raval, we kind of walked around a little bit because we had a later reservation at Parts and Labor. Um. So, yeah, we just walked around, looked at the neighborhoods. It's beautiful out there. That Queen Street area really is something, isn't it? Oh, yeah, as well as Parkdale. Yeah. Um, so we went to Parts and Labor. Got It was the first day of that new menu. Okay. Um, so the server, we were some of the first people there, and I saw everyone around us was getting hamburgers or fried chicken some of the menu items that were static there so when i ordered all the dishes off the beaten path the server would say this is the first ever of this one let us know how you liked it that's awesome and um i think we had the dan dan noodles with lamb cucumber uh the mustard greens that traditionally come with that sure um we had a pork belly and uni dish that was insane sounds pretty interesting sweet potatoes um we tried the mac and cheese with the cheetos on top and found a little bit dry um (laughs) after all the hype we saw on maddie death bros myspace right um we were kind of disappointed with that but other than that it was a great meal um they have a pretty cool vibe going on there it's really interesting because at at a certain point of the night the downstairs turns into a turns into a nightclub it does yeah and we weren't there for that but just going into the bathroom there you see like it's meant for a lot of people to be there yeah it's a it's an interesting big city vibe place you know it's almost it almost has a little uh, clockwork orange feel to it oh yeah the upstairs with the lighting and the and the you know the whiteness, but white but dark. Right. It's it's like I said, it's very almost clockwork orangey. It's it's an interesting feel altogether. Oh yeah. Which I I don't know. It's something you'd like to see a little more of. We're we're getting a lot of a lot of the same new thing, and not that it's unpleasant, but it's that you know updated version of good luck. Right. You know, exposed exposed pipes, exposed beams. Edison light bulbs. Right. Which is very nice. I think it's one of my favorite styles. But it, it would be nice once we get to the point where you don't have to do that. Right. To be a new restaurant, you can do something different. You can specialize a little more. You can 
do something a little more unique. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see that here where we can have a place that just does one thing and say, eat this thing. It's delicious. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Baraval was kind of like that. You walked in and it was, I think they used a 3D printer on some type of mahogany, I want to say. And it's just like this crazy um, carved wood interior. And it's it's nothing like those uh, that style that you were just talking about. Sure. Um, and I want to say they've opened within the last year or so. Cool. So it, it, it that's a step in the right direction. Toronto's a major city, so by the time it hits Rochester, five years maybe. <laughs> it's hard to say. I, I'm I'm always hoping, and I, I'm I'm not again. I'm not dissing that style, right? Because it is it is truly it is a great style. Not at all. And, it's very uh, friendly, and it's it still is modern, and it, it suits a lot of great restaurants. Right, and there is a reason why restaurants are trying to replicate that good luck feel, Absolutely. if you will. Yeah, and it, it, it suits modern cuisine, you know, the modern diverse cuisine menu that a lot of places are doing, and it's it's very successful, and it's a very cool, it's a cool place to be. But I like eccentric. I like, I like weird. I like intense. I like all this in my food, in the decor. Right. And that's why I don't, I, places like Monroe Kebab that we talked about. Right. Or some of the, for lack of a better term, some of those ethnic places in and around the city where, you know, it's either traditional food that they make or a little more, a little more diverse, not non, for a term I've been using a lot more recently, white people food. Right. It's it's for it's not for us. It's for whoever enjoys that kind of food. Oh yeah. Um I think you need a little more eccentricity in our food, a little more craziness. Definitely. I think it, it makes life a little more interesting. <laughs> and that's why sorta of to wrap things up, that's why I was happy when the, the pop up thing came on came to light. And I think if nothing else we can be excited that you'll be doing more more of your food both at Aunt Rosie's and in any pop-up sense in the future. Definitely. So I'm excited. <laughs> Thanks. I'm excited, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun seeing you grow from grow in from Aunt Rosie's, being, you know, not on the sidelines, but not the main guy, into turning yourself into the main guy over there. And I think it's uh, I think it's going to be an interesting ride, like, like I was saying before. I'm excited for you. Thanks a lot. So... Uh, so with Sean O'Donnell and I don't know, I had a great time. So I'm, I'm only hoping to see what comes next. So thanks for coming over, buddy. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot. See ya.